0: Welcome to episode 140 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson.
1: And I'm Brian Levin. Today, we caught up with Mike Davidson. What a guy. He's awesome. Very fun. Uh, He was the VP of design at Twitter for a few years. Before that, he worked for a lot of red companies, uh, including ESPN. He worked on web standards. He built Newsvine and sold that. He built some really cool things. We talk about all sorts of high-level topics. Very fascinating stuff. Uh, But before we get into the episode, we want to thank our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Dropbox. So Dropbox is working on simplifying
0: the way people work together. And to do that, they need you to come work with them. They're working on hiring talented designers to make that possible.
1: And design managers. They're starting to move beyond the existing state of Dropbox products. Up until now, it's been Dropbox works it sits in the background it gets out of your way but now they're trying to reimagine how people work together how you can be productive tools like Dropbox Paper are all meant to help you collaborate and do better work with your coworkers friends family whatever it might be Dropbox is going to make your life better
0: design has always been a huge priority for them and it's their team has always been incredible and now they're looking for more people to join.
1: So what's really cool about the process is they are very tight-knit with other disciplines like research and content strategy, uh, product design, illustration. All of them work together in the same space to solve problems, really hard problems, uh, together. And that is probably a dream come true for for any designer out there. To be able to work cross-disciplinary, really build a well-thought-out, well-rounded product they want you to join that process.
0: And come work in their amazing new office right down the street
1: from us. Yeah. They just opened a it's new incredible. office in Soma. It's beautiful. Uh, they have a freaking coffee shop that roasts its own beans. It's called Little R. Uh, you get meals, of course. Uh, lots of great perks. and Their e- meals are not just
0: like, of course meals. They're like amazing meals. Their kitchen's incredible.
1: But the best perk of all is if you go on their roof uh, and you look to the west... You can see Bryn's apartment building. And that's a dream come true.
0: That's a weird thing to say. (laughs) Uh, You can actually see Marshall Bach's apartment. That's right. His specific apartment.
1: If you want to learn more about standing on that rooftop and spying on Bryn, go to spec.fm slash Dropbox. That'll send you to their hiring page. You can learn all about the role. Again, they want uh, product designers. Roles. Roles. Product designers design managers to solve hard problems and make people's lives better
0: they're looking for product designers of all levels junior mid-level senior so definitely don't feel like you're out of what they're looking for
1: the url again is spec.fm slash dropbox thanks again to dropbox
0: and with that let's get into episode 140 with mike davidson
2: Hi, I'm Mike Davidson. I uh, most recently led the design team at Twitter. uh, And about four months ago, I left the company to move back up to my beloved hometown of Seattle, uh, which is the greatest town in the world. San Francisco's close. San Francisco's second best town in the world um i'll so take it i love san francisco um but in a head-to-head blood match between seattle and san francisco san francisco would come in last place <laughs> well we could hit um, you with our stale bread <laughs> you could <laughs> you could hit us with your stale bread and in fact you do hit us with your stale bread um that is but you've true. got beast mode i do got be- i do got beast mode although you have beast mode now beast mode is back in oakland now is that a thing
0: i don't know about football
2: oh yeah beast mode is back in oakland i
0: only see tweets from you about Marshawn lynch
2: right that one that's the that's the totality of your exposure to sports is my tweets you got it
1: fantastic i'm about the same actually i'm glad it's good it's a
2: good thing that i'm fair and balanced in my sports
1: tweets. is that a good fox reference it is yes, <laughs> yes. uh we can get into it. you wrote a post recently and you are like we're very apologetic about the sports metaphor but the sports metaphor was very good like it matched really well i didn't know why you were apologetic Ah, you're talking about uh, the post on how to evaluate the quality
2: of decisions instead of the quality of outcomes. Yes. yes. Thank
0: you for setting context, Brian, professional <laughs> interviewer Brian. <laughs> so background there is...
2: Um, I feel like in our industry, especially uh, in the, especially like as designers working at tech companies, um, you know, we're we're forced to you know evaluate each other and evaluate ourselves frequently, right? Because and it's a what? Good th-
0: it's a good thing. No, we just you know? assume we're the best. We just
2: assume we're the best because we are. Yeah, of course. Um, but you know, not everybody knows we're the best, right? Like engineers. These plebs don't appreciate our work. <laughs> they really don't. They really don't. Like engineers, execs, PMs, <laughs> like they, they, they don't know what we do, you know. So, um, so they want some sort of objective, and we want some sort of like objective scale, you know, for how good of work people are doing. And so, what what I've noticed in my time in in the industry is we tend to look at outcomes um, very empirically, because they give us a way to say, yes, this designer did a fantastic job. Their feature led to a, an, an in- increase uh, of 20% in retention. Like how fantastic of a job did that designer do? Fantastic. And then we look at somebody else, another designer on the team, maybe and we say, well, you know, their project didn't go so well. And the thing that they designed didn't really move numbers at all. They must be doing bad work. And-
0: uh, Rookies. That Yeah.
2: And that's a really like, easy, simplistic, lazy way to evaluate people, in my opinion, is, is just to look at the outcomes. I think the better way to look at people is to look at the quality of their behavior and the quality of the, the decisions that they make. And so the sports metaphor, it's not that I was, it, I wasn't mean to be impo- apologetic about it. I was just trying to express how painful it was for me to use a metaphor that involved the Seahawks losing the
1: <laughs> I see, I see. to <laughs> the Patriots, now because it it's the most, one of the most painful nights of my
2: life. Um, but it just so happens to be a very good... Um, analogy to what we see in the workplace. I'll explain further. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're reading my mind. For what it's worth,
0: I did actually root for the Seahawks in that game because I knew more people on Twitter that liked the Seahawks than the Patriots.
1: (laughs) Yes. Bryn, true sports fan.
2: (laughs) You know, the Seahawks really, they're America's team. I mean, the Cowboys think they're America's team, but the Seahawks these days—they're America's team. So it doesn't surprise me that you love
0: them. My dad is an obsessive Packers fan. Oh, I like uh, the Packers. So I was raised to not like the Cowboys. Oh, good. Yeah. See, he he <laughs> raised he's, with he's good the only values. team he would pick the Vikings over the Cowboys, and the Vikings and Packers are not friendly. They are not friendly at all. But you're raised with good, wholesome values, Bryn.
2: Um, and I, I, I already felt great about you, but now I feel even better. Yes. Um, but anyway, so back to the painful sports metaphor, like what happened at the end of that game for anybody who watched it, you'll remember this, you know, we had the ball at the one yard line with the best running back in football ready, you know, ready to win the game. All you do is just hand the ball to him and he could just walk into the end zone. Right. Um, and instead we called a pass play. And what happened was we threw a very quick pass play that was just like the simplest pass play. It's a slant pass. Super, super easy. Uh, and it ended up getting intercepted by a rookie, undrafted rookie cornerback of uh, for the Patriots named Malcolm Butler. Like the least likely thing that could possibly happen happened. And everybody immediately jumped to conclusions. And they said, how could the Seahawks call a pass with that in that situation. The outcome was horrible. We lost the game. What a terrible call. And when the press interviewed Pete Carroll after the game, Pete Carroll's the coach of the Seahawks, when he was interviewed after the game, he kept on telling people like, hey, it wasn't the worst decision. It was just the worst outcome. And I kind of like didn't know exactly what he meant by that when he said it. But then I read this great statistical breakdown on 538.com about, all the different things that had happened historically when somebody passes at the one yard line and when somebody runs at the one yard line. And it's actually like, there had been something like 130 passes at the one yard line that year and zero of them had resulted in interceptions. And there had been like, you know, a hundred and something runs at the one yard line and two of them had resulted in turnovers. So when you look at it that way, it puts a different light on that decision, and it make as a Seahawks fan, it makes you feel like, okay, yeah, things didn't work out, and the the outcome was not the outcome that we wanted, but the quality of the decision making was actually was actually not, you know, it was at the very least defensible and at the very most strong and good, and so when we getting back to you know the world of design, like. It's important when you run a design department or when you man, you know when you manage um, designers. It's important to look at the quality of decisions that people are making, and not necessarily just the outcomes that that those decisions lead to, because there are so many variables that you can't control or that a designer can't control. What if they're put with? What if designer A is put with like an amazing PM and amazing engineers on an amazing project that's just destined to succeed? It's just a great idea. It was somebody else's idea, but it was just destined to succeed. That person's going to have a much easier time getting getting to a positive result than a, than an equally hardworking designer who's just as creative, who did, who puts in just as much time, who just happens to get stuck on a project that is a good thing to a good project to work on, but
1: contains a much like lower likelihood of success. It seems like it gets <laughs> into murky waters yes. only because you start into getting you start getting into subjective waters.
0: Yes. Well, it's already subjective if you're measuring on outcomes. There are objective outcomes in terms of money, but there are certain companies whose uh, goal is not necessarily like
1: yeah yeah. I meant more financial perfection. Uh, objective isn't uh, st- numerical, quantitative.
0: So you can quantify money.
1: That's fair. <laughs> like <laughs> all waters are murky. You you have to also know when you had a designer on a project that did poorly, and it was also their fault.
2: Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so like, there's, yes. There's quant- and that requires that you investigate.
1: Is all waters are murky
0: a phrase? I've never heard that before, but that is. Fucking awesome! I have just made
2: that phrase up, and yes. I'm, and I'm patenting it right whoa, now. Whoa, 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 no. <laughs> whoa! Copyright design details, 2016. <laughs> yeah, no, all waters are murky. Uh, there's no such thing as objective truth. Truth is a is a function of time and place. Um, oh, shit. Exhale. Like people want to believe that there is such a thing as like absolute truth, but really, like the truth is kind of in the eye of the of, of the beholder. In in issues of. issues that require subjective judgment um there has never been a project that's ever existed in design that has been 100 percent positive like there have been some very very positive outcomes in design but generally there are a few things about the project that were not positive like relationships were strained or um
0: three radial uh, gradients on an icon three
2: radial gradients (laughs) on an icon yeah exactly like you know compromises are made um (laughs) <laughs> wow low blow i'm glad i didn't say that
1: well um, no, you repeated it <laughs> no i
0: i loved it but uh some other people on the internet apparently did not
2: yeah exactly but that's a that's actually a really good that's actually a really good illustration of the concept brand it Which, is
0: the first time instagram has been on my home screen hmm.
2: after they changed the icon after
0: they changed it really
2: you moved them to the, to the home screen because of the icon oh i
0: hated the old one so much Wow, this one is much less offensive to me.
2: See, you're you're that's interesting. You're a home screen elitist, based on icon quality. I
0: actually do. uh, (laughs) That is true.
2: (laughs) Most people are. Most people base it on like app functionality. Utility. I've
0: I've opened the app more times in the last couple weeks since they updated it uh, than I ever had before. Wow. Well, Ian Spalter
2: would be very very happy to know that. Um, so hopefully you've sent him a DM and told him how much you love his icon.
0: Not personally, not
2: personally. (laughs) Uh, uh, Robert also worked on it. Oh yeah. 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 Totally. I will say this though, like definitely a tangent, but like the thing about the Instagram icon is, you know, love it or hate it. You definitely notice it more now, right? Like when you, when you swipe down on iOS and you see the like recently opened apps, like that, that one, and there's four of them, like that one sticks out. Like no matter what four are up there, like that one is the one that, that pops.
0: It did before too. That's the problem is it stuck out as old versus it sticking out as like kind of postmodern yep. kind of thing. Like yep. it's like it kind of feels like where things might be going with the kind of harsh like overdone gradients. Mm-hmm. So yeah. who knows? Instead yeah. of being like realistic gradients, it's like the opposite. Yeah. It is completely unrealistic in every way. Yeah. Yeah. I dig it. It
2: is. And it's, you know, it's, it's got a patina, right? Like everything patinas after a while. I think what you want is you want a brand that has lasting value and that, that stands for something that's fairly constant, like across decades, but like to change what your icon looks like, uh, or what your nav looks like or what your app looks like every, you know, two, three years, according to, um, you know, what's, what's, what's
1: in is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good. Back to measurement. Back measuring. to measuring. Yeah. Yes. Um, subjective. We're always in murky waters and it seems Everything like, is a gradient stop. but you're just layering, sub- <laughs> <laughs> you're layering subjectivity, right? Because then it's the subjectivity of the manager and like whether yes. the manager's good or bad. So yes. I understand like this natural intuition to try and find a number to it. Mm-hmm. And I also hear you saying that that's the lazy way to think about it. It's mm-hmm. so like, what what can we start doing to boil that subjectivity into something that closer resembles the truth than just saying, yeah, this person worked on stuff that did well for the business.
2: Yep. Totally. I think that's a really
1: great question. And like, I think, you know,
2: being subjective is not only acceptable, I think it's good, but I think the way to bring some kind of structure to that is to actually spell out the sorts of qualities that you are going to be grading people on. It's okay to say that like, Hey, this particular thing, like teamwork, let's say teamwork is one thing I'm going to grade you on it's okay to say like, hey, I'm just, I'm going to give you a grade based on what your peers say about you. Like, are you a good teammate? I'm going to ask them questions about like, are you collaborative? Do you show your work early? Are you willing to, you know, build more prototypes than you're comfortable with? Like all these things that are designed to measure, measure teamwork. I'm going to give you a subjective score based on the totality of things that I hear about how good of a teammate you are. That's subjective, but it's, described in advance so that people know what they're going to be judged on. So I think subjectivity, as long as it is enumerated in advance, is is okay.
0: Is that measured through like back channeling?
2: No, it's measured through like, ideally, like an official process where like a couple times a year or three times a year, however, however you want to do it, you actually survey people um, that the person- Oh, you're talking about
0: with. people who've already worked on the team? Yes. Performance reviews? Yes, yeah. So yeah. When I was at Sidewire, our investors sent in a person who had worked at Twitter previously. And I reached out to you and Saleo and a few others who had worked with this person previously or knew them. And that was a whole process. How do you handle that kind of thing before they get on the team?
2: Um. Oh. So how do how do we judge? Um. How do we judge whether somebody's going to be whether somebody's going to live up to the things that we that we value?
0: Yeah. How do you make those evaluations?
2: Yeah. It's a really it's a it's a good question. Like you know, it's tempting to just do it on on experience, you know, and just say, well, this person's been in the industry for like ten years and they've worked at big companies and blah blah blah. They should be fine. But you know, I I, I don't find that to be true at all. Like I've, I I have I have met designers who are just about to graduate high school who have no design degree, haven't been to college, but their work is amazing and they're really, they're really uh, enjoyable to talk to. And they seem like they would be like excellent collaborators. And when we probe a little deeper in terms of like how they think um, and what, you know, what the role is of a designer, they're like strikingly mature for their, you know, for their age. And like, I would rather, I would much rather hire somebody like that than somebody who's been in the industry for like, you know, 10, 15 years, who's got like a master's degree in design, you know, whose work, you know, isn't impressive. And there's like a ton of people like that out there. So, you know, I think most people get better with experience but not everybody. The, like the way we did it at Twitter is like we didn't have a playbook in terms of like okay you ask these questions and like I'll ask these questions. And like, I'll ask these questions. Some people do it that way. Like some, some, some companies say like, okay, you're in charge of like the teamwork questions. And like, I'll do the, like, I'll do the like whiteboard problem solving part. And then like, you do the like leadership part. That's okay. But I find that when you allow people to kind of run an interview in their own ways, they, they're able to kind of dig at information in original ways that unearth Information that wouldn't be unearthed through through a more through a more structured structured process, and I've also found um, that when you do things this way, you know, generally where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, like you may hear an odd comment from one person who has ended up interviewing the person. Um, let's say it's a woman who had interviewed a, a male candidate, uh, or had been in a group presentation with a male candidate. We actually had this happen. A woman said, came up to me afterwards and was like, "Hey, did you notice?" That guy didn't make eye contact with any of the women in the room throughout the whole interview. Like he was looking at you, he was looking at you, and he was looking at you, but he didn't make eye contact with any of the women. And like those are signs. Like those are those are those are signs um, that something is wrong. And we have found. I mean, I, I feel like we did a, we've done a pretty good job at hiring, um, but you know, every so often, you know, somebody slips through that that shouldn't have slipped through. And when I look back at like you know how could we have caught this earlier there's always there's almost always something in the interview notes that you could have caught
0: so in in your i think first post since you retired or
2: how do you phrase that <laughs> it's it's a sabbatical like okay. I, I tell people i'm retired but i'm not retired i'm just i'm just trying to take the year off and i'll be back in some form or another
0: i like that you wrote about getting to a 50/50 hiring ratio mm-hmm. uh, in terms of gender mm-hmm. at twitter mm-hmm. what was that process like how how did you do that at a level of quality while maintaining that balance. Yeah. This this is a hard question to ask because yeah. I do not believe in any way that at any level women are less talented than men. Well, I
2: mean, I'll just start off by saying we didn't have a quota. Like there's no there was no goal to get to 50-50. That wasn't the goal at all. I'll tell you I'll tell you how it all came about. Basically, we thought we were a pretty diverse team. Uh, you know, we all when I got there we all sat in the design studio, all designers and researchers sat in the design studio. And there's like, you know, handful of men, handful of women. And so, you know, when you spend your whole day in the design studio and you see women all day and you see men all day, you just kind of, your brain just kind of says, okay, well, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're a diverse team. But there were a few women on the team who had approached me and said, you know, Mike, um, we have some diversity problems on our team. This was like two, two years ago, maybe two, 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 two Two and a half years, yeah, about two years ago. Um, you know, this is a very male dominated company and it feels like an even male dominated design team, to be honest. Um, and I was like, oh, wow, okay, I, you know, I didn't, I, I that had never crossed my mind before. Like, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's look into it. So um, they started off by running a few surveys, just quick kind of, you know, like 10 question surveys. What's your gender? Are you male? Are you female? how do you feel you're treated on the team uh you know would you recommend working in this department to uh you know to friends of yours a bunch of different questions that were designed to kind of measure like you know happiness and equality and you know effective ability to do your job basically then they started cutting the data by gender and so we noticed some interesting things the first thing we noticed is wow we were not 50-50 we were like 80-20 um we were you know 80% guys 20% women second thing they noticed is that with questions like, would you recommend this as a place to work for your friends, the men on the team scored way, way, way higher on that question. So, yeah, yeah, the Twitter design is great. A great place to work. Of course, I would recommend it. And whereas women, when they answered that question, they had a much lower degree of, of satisfaction in terms of recommending. it. It's sort of like almost like team level MPS, right? Um and so that was Did, really. Can you like, explain NPS? Yeah, NPS is Net Promoter Score. So it's a it's a way of measuring uh, how satisfied people are with you know generally with products. You know, so it's a you know when you when you design a product or you build a product. The thing that generally matters the most is you know how much do you, how much do your customers like it, right? And so NPS is the scoring system. It's one through ten, uh, and if you if you rate the product, the question it's a one question test, and it's uh, you know how likely are you to recommend this product to a friend one through
0: ten. And, and the product in that case would be the Twitter design. Team.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and so when i saw the results to that uh, of that that was kind of all i needed to see to make me go wow this is this is something that we can improve like this mm-hmm. this this is this looks like a design problem to me this is something that like this is a problem that some of us had noticed some of us hadn't but it's very very solvable how should we solve it so can, the, can the, i interject yeah. mike
1: because i think there's an important thing here before we keep going yeah. so the first time i ever met you was at Epicureans, and yeah. this uh was something that you were passionate about. You're talking about this ability to be blind to the 50-50 split. Like we feel like it's 50-50, but it's really not. Mm-hmm. I just like, that's what stuck out in my mind. The first time I met you is these were the conversations that you gave a shit about. Yeah. And I think maybe there's people that would see an 80-20 split or something like that and see the score and, and move on. Yeah. Why do you give like? Why is this so important to you? Besides like being a decent human, but particularly like decent.
2: (laughs) I get decent. That's that's all I get. I get decent.
1: I mean, for for caring (laughs) about gender ratios. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Brian.
2: I'm 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 happy. I'm happy that I'm a decent human. (laughs) No offense intended. Yeah. Uh, Why do I care about it? Um. So I care about it. I first of all, I can't say that I was I was born caring about it. Like I don't think this is I don't think like empathy towards gender equity is necessarily something that you're like born with. I didn't it's not know. An
0: innate consideration. No,
2: I, I mean maybe I, I don't know. I think for most people it is not. At least for most like you know white men it, it is not. Um, but I grew empathy for it by virtue of going through this process. And the next the next step of the process will explain that a little bit. Which is after realizing that this was some uh, you know a, a problem and a challenge that we that we could you know impr- improve or solve was. We had an entire we had a department wide fireside chat where we gathered everybody together in the studio and we heard stories from women on the team about what it was like to work as a woman in tech in general. And it wasn't like this is what it's this is these this is what it's like to be a woman on the Twitter design team. And here here's my you know here's my laundry list of things I hate about everybody. Like it was not that at all. It was like I'm a woman. I've been a designer you know for my whole career, and this is what it's like for me to work in tech. And some of that is specifically related to Twitter, and some of it is just related to the industry. It was very like it was definitely not like an us versus them thing. It was just like I want to just tell you my story. This is what it's like for me. And one of the first things that we heard was from a woman on the team who said, sometimes I go entire weeks with, or sometimes I go weeks without being in a single meeting with another woman. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, how is that possible? Like, I'm in meetings with women every day and we work at the same company. Like, how is it possible that you that you go entire weeks without being in a meeting with another woman? And she went on and she said, you know, when I'm in a room full of men talking about a project that we're working on, and I'm the only women, only woman, I, I tend to stay silent, and I tend to not speak up even when I have like a question or something that I you know something something I want to raise. And all it takes is for there to be one other woman in the room, and I'll open up. Just one other person to like lock eyes with, and you know roll our eyes when somebody says something stupid, or smile at each other, or back each other up. Like it just takes one. I don't need five women and five men in the media. I just need one. And like, I heard that. And I was like, I started thinking about, okay, well, that's really powerful. How have we let it come to this? And I started thinking about like what her, her day looked like. And she's a designer and she's working with, you know, mostly engineers and PMs. And, you know, when you're a designer at a large company like Twitter or Facebook or Airbnb or wherever, you know, you're generally, it's generally like, you know, one designer for like, you know, eight or nine engineers on like 1 PM. And so, when you when you put yourself in that sort of situation, then yeah, like you might have nine male engineers and like one male PM. And like, those are generally the meetings that you're in. That's your like, typical staff for a meeting. And if that's what all your meetings are like, you know, I can see how all your meetings would be one woman and 10 men, you know, and so like, if I hadn't heard that story, if other people in the team, around the team hadn't heard that story, it would be very hard for us to put ourselves in the situation that we were putting women on our team in. But since we heard the stories, not just that one, but other ones as well, it really kind of helped open people's eyes up to like, wow, working in tech and working at Twitter is different if you're a man versus a woman. And what are all the ways that that's bad? And what are all the ways that we can help improve that? And so you ask, Brian, why do I care about issues like that? I care because the stories about the stories from my team about what it's like to be a woman in tech have deeply affected me and have given me empathy for what it's like to be a woman in tech. I don't care about it because I want to move some number. There were a bunch of other things we did after these fireside fireside chat to improve the situation, but it was never about like, I want to be able to go up in front of my CEO and say that I moved X, I moved number X from, you know, value Y to value Z. It's
0: not that I want to write a blog post in two and a half years. about. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I haven't. Like, I haven't, I haven't written anything about that really. I'd lo- and I'm glad we're talking about it today because it's something that like, uh, you know, there's a lot that I'm proud of that we did at Twitter. And, um, you know, there's a lot that I think that we could have done a lot better, but like, one of the things that I'm most universally proud of is how the women on the team stepped up to really make this conversation happen and how everybody else on the team supported them. Um, it takes and, a lot of guts. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does. Fireside it, chats are intimidating and can be intense. They can be intense. They, they they can definitely be intense. Um, and, uh, you know, as you I mean, you mentioned Epicurrence, like that, I feel like that was kind of intense, right? Like, I feel like when that subject came up um, at the epicurrents non-conference. The first night the first night. Yeah. Like there were, there were some people at the conference who were like, this is uncomfortable. Why are we talking about this? Like, this is really uncomfortable. Um, And I mean, my response to that is like, this is, we're not bankers. Like this is not like the banking industry that we're not trying to like maintain any sort of status quo here. You know, like, it's not like we're trying, it's not like men in the industry should be trying to like, like maintain their power over like product design. It should be the opposite. It should be like, Hey, we want as we want to be, A part of as diverse of a team as possible, and so let's all do our part to to kind of help
0: change that situation. What is the opposite of zero sum? Additive. I don't having more diversity in design (laughs) makes all
2: of us better. Yes. It does. It does, and I'll give you a concrete example because everybody wants to know, like, oh, what are the business cases for for diversity? You know, like I get that it's the right thing to do, but like, how does it actually make us better as a company? One of my favorite examples is, um, you know, we were one we were doing a design review once of a of a set of permission gates. So permission gates are. You know these things that you that you do, like you know you're designing an iOS app and you want to get uh, the person's permission to share their location, right? And so you could just do the dumb thing and just pop up the iOS dialog and just say, "Hey, can you, do you want to share your location?" And then if the person says no, you're never allowed to ask that again. So the smart way to do it is to actually put up your own gate first. A nice it friendly, looks the same, yeah, it looks the same. A nice friendly thing saying, "Here, here's why we want your location. Here's what, here's why it's good for you." And then when they say yes, then you pass them on to the real uh, you know, permission gate. So you know, we we contracted this illustrator to like design these really beautiful illustrations to you know for all of our permission gates. They're all fantastic. We all loved them. Um, and we were talking about uh, you know, we were we were we were design reviewing um, you know one of one of the location ones, and it was like a picture of a campsite with a tent and a fire. It's this is nice, quaint little thing, you know. Oh, do you want to share where you know, what your location is? And we, all the like, you know, white people at the table were like, oh, this is great, you know. And we had a, a woman of Indian descent at the table who was like, yeah, this, is, this, this wouldn't resonate at all in India. Like nobody would even understand what the relationship is between this scene and like asking for location. That's just not something we do. Um, and like we got that research for free. Like, we got that research because we had somebody on the team with a, diverse, interesting. a background that was more diverse than, like, most of the people at the company. And so, like, that's just a micro example. But, like, when you're designing a product, it's great to have voices like that in the room to kind of keep you honest and to keep you, um, you know, aware that the rest of the world does not lo- look or live like you do. That's
0: really interesting. I'm about to go camping in India. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh you you mentioned there's some things that you perhaps wish you'd done better mm-hmm. would you be cool speaking to some of those things so yeah. that, that we can learn from that yeah sure
2: um i think the thing that i that i wish i could have had a more positive effect on is really kind of solidifying the relationship between engineering product and design um i think you know we did a lot of work
0: early is, on to to is, yeah sorry Go this ahead. product is separate like entity from design yeah pm sorry yeah like okay.
2: engineering like engineers pms and designers
0: basically all the companies i've worked in have been small and product is like an umbrella for yeah. engineering and design so
2: yeah it's it it's it's kind of not at twitter i mean it's there's there's like you know the uh, an org of pms an org of designers and researchers and an org of, engin- of okay. engineers and that, that's not the way they sit you know like people sit in cross, you know, cross-functional teams. But there's, yeah, there's generally a PM org, uh, you know, an engineering org and a a design
0: org. Is that how it is at Facebook, Brian? Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, so obviously, you know, we did a lot of work to make sure that it was, you know, three equal legs of the stool and like, you know, design wasn't looked at as you know, uh, uh, just a factory to like crank out icons, you know, think all the basic stuff, right? Like that's, that wasn't, that wasn't like super difficult. We have really you know great designers and researchers on the team, but what was difficult that I don't feel great about how much progress I made on was like coming up with the, with a playbook for how those three or four of include research disciplines work together. Like who does what, what does the Venn diagram look like? Um, and, you know, I think early on in in Twitter's life, it was sort of just like let a thousand flowers bloom. It was like, hey, we are, you know, we have all these talented people together. They're used to working in different ways. You know, let's just, if somebody wants to write code in Ruby, great. If somebody wants to write code in JavaScript, great. Like, oh, you want to use Sketch? Okay, cool. You want to use Photoshop? Cool. Like, it was very just like, hey, do, you know, get work done in whatever yeah. way is, is fastest and, and easiest for you. But when you grow to a certain size and projects like overlap and areas of the product overlap, um, it becomes more important to have a playbook for how things should work, you know, how, how teams should work together and, you know, what technologies you should use. And so, you know, there's a, a, there's, understandable resistance towards that sort of thinking because people say well okay you're just going to be you are just going to come in and impose this process that we don't like you like we have a good process here we use asana to manage our projects and you want us to use like basecamp asana, or jira <laughs> or whatever you know yeah
0: how uh, much do you see that as a sales problem i feel like in a lot of cases it's Internal teams, so say the design team is trying to increase the value of design or product is trying to increase the value of product. You have nine engineers in a meeting and one designer and one product person, Mm -hmm. but they're coming from a position of weakness compared to engineering because there's nine to one to one. How much of that do you see as an actual sales problem? It's really hard to push a thing that you are the direct recipient of any value.
2: Yeah, it's true, but I wouldn't say, I I, I see what you're saying, but I, I wouldn't say that we had any problem you know, establishing the value of design. Like okay. that, that wasn't the problem. Um I think the problem is th- it's murky to go back to the, the murky waters. Like it 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 trademark. is trademark. Yeah, trademark. <laughs> uh yeah. The the murkiness comes in like who's who does who's responsible for what and where do those things overlap. So uh for instance, uh if you have a very territorial designer, you may have somebody who's like, you know, I'm deciding how this thing looks. Uh, thank you for your opinion, um, engineers and PMs, but like I'm the designer and like I'm the one who's, who's supposed to decide, you know, how this thing looks. And so I'm just going to decide it. And like, th- that's okay. And maybe in a smaller company or like maybe in an agency even, but like in a collabor in a, in a large company where you're, you're building, you know, very complex products like that is a recipe for failure mm-hmm. on the PM side. You could have a PM that says, you know what? I'm setting the vision for this product and I'm going to decide how we measure it and I'm going to decide like who the audience is and I'm going to decide how we build it and what the deadlines are. And that's not good either, right? Right. And then on the engineering side, you may have somebody who says, you know, okay, the, you know, these are really good, uh, you know, these are really good ideas. And like instead of prototyping this thing really quickly you know, with throwaway code, I'm just going to do this thing right so that if it works really well, it'll be scalable. And so you end up spending four months on it instead of one month on it. So every discipline can overstep their bounds. And so when I think about like what a playbook looks like for engineering product design research, I think of a Venn diagram that is like fungible. So in general, this is what we want a PM to do. We want a PM to be in charge of identifying and framing problems, um, ensuring like fantastic communication throughout the team, figuring out how to measure success, mediating arguments. Like those are the sorts of things that like a PM, like that's that's your bread and butter as a designer. Like your bread and butter is the ex- leading the exploratory process of coming up with uh, this exploratory and divergent process of coming up with potential solutions mm-hmm. to whatever problem is identified. As an engineer, your bread and butter is figuring out, okay, how do, like what's the best way to build this stuff? Um, and by the way, that's not just like taking orders. That's like, hey, yeah. I see this cloud of things that we're, that we're working on. And like, here's my input on like how we should actually build this thing. And by the way, I can make this thing a lot better um, by building it in this way and adding these features or removing these features or whatever. And then research, you know, your bread and butter is, you know, knowing the user and and getting unbiased data in terms of like how people are actually using it. Once the
0: target is identified, getting to know the target.
2: Exactly, exactly. Got it. So like you have to have relative agreement on what people's core functions are and then where it's okay to kind of like overstep those bounds a little bit. I think it's okay for like, it should be okay for a PM to like, take a design that a designer had, you know, has done and like make a small tweak to it and show it and show them to the, to, the, to the designer. Like, hey, this is great work that you did. You know, I had some time over the weekend and like, wow, what if we did this? Um, that yep. should be okay. Absolutely. You know, if you have trust uh, between PM design and engineering research, you should be able to do things like that. When you don't have trust is when, you know, a designer has spent a lot of time on something and it looks great. And then like a PM just, you know, comes through and says like, I know Photoshop.
0: Um, trust means a lot more than like i i know this person is good at their job it means a lot more about personal interaction i think getting close
1: absolutely
2: so i so you asked like you know what am i you know what am i least proud of or what could
1: i have done better like that's the area where I, i would have i would have liked to make more progress can you talk to how you ended up formalizing this playbook like but well, we didn't. That was the. So it didn't happen. You, no. Okay. No. I, see. I mean, that's, that's where he felt he could do better. Yeah. I didn't know if there was like a progress had been made and it, it ended uh, shorter.
2: I mean, some progress had been made, but we definitely, you know, we I, I would say we, we needed to take it a step or two further. For okay. Sure. We still were kind of at the point where, yeah, we had like a playbook and like the teams that were doing really well, you know, generally kind of like followed you know, generally did things in the right way, but there were still other, you know, there were still other teams that just kind of were like, hey, this is the way we work and didn't work out so well. So And I would say the other thing, too, is like people are worried about like, uh, oh, you know, this what if there's just a project that we need to do in like a week? How are we supposed to run it through this playbook? You know, and, you know, isn't that just going to like increase the amount of time that we spend on the project? Like my response to that is it's not a one size fits all playbook. Like there should be like a small, medium and large. Right. Like small is like, oh, fuck. We we sold an ad campaign and we got to get this thing up on the site in like 48 hours. You know, like that's a small playbook. That's like, okay cool. Here's what happens in that situation: designer gets together with the PM, does a few mocks, engineers build it. There's no testing, there's no research, like, and we launch it. That's it, right? Like that's the small playbook. The large playbook is like, okay, this is something we've decided we want to do. We have about six months to build it. That's we, more of a company level thing, right? Yeah, a
1: strategic. Yeah,
2: than, than like a feature level. Yes, absolutely. It's like you know we have bind to like do this thing. Um, and, and because we have, you know, a good amount of time, three months, six months, nine months, whatever to do it, we want to run it through the full process. We want to do, our, we want to make sure that we do a uh, proper primary research. We want to make sure that we talk to people and validate that this is a good concept to build. We want to do a full exploratory process with, you know, multiple prototypes. We want to AB test like, that's a large, right. And then like something in the middle is like a medium, right. Where like, okay, we have. Two-ish months to build this thing and we've got to cut a few corners. But like here's the here's the medium-sized playbook that we've all agreed
1: upon. Is the hardest part getting the buy-in from the teams or actually just describing the process itself? I think it's a leadership thing, honestly. Like
2: I think I think, you know, design leadership, engine leadership, and product leadership all need to just agree on it. and 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 just kind of say hey this is this is this is the way we you know this is the way a bill becomes a law at this company
1: Uh um it's fascinating i think the interdisciplinary stuff interdisciplinary process and collaboration is yeah hard Mm -hmm. uh Maybe we can focus in, because you did lead the design team for three years yep. at Twitter. Focusing in on the design process itself, I'm curious how, when you came in, how did that evolve over time? If you can kind of snapshot beginning to end, like what happened in the middle of thinking about design process at a company like Twitter, yeah. big, yeah, uh, lots of designers?
2: Yeah. So we started off being... Um, organized very functionally and horizontally so all you know all designers and researchers sitting together no nobody sat with their engineering partners or their pm partners
0: no pods
2: so to no, speak no pods at all um it was great because you know designers tend to like other designers and we all speak the same language we all learn from each other and it's great one big happy family um and, and it was also nice because you know if you want if you were a search designer and you wanted to know what was going on uh, on in onboarding you could just you know walk over 10 feet to the designers working on onboarding and go, Hey, what's, what's new in onboarding? And you have a quick conversation and really kind of keep track of like, really kind of like put, get your arms around the totality of the product. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was easy. Um, but the bad thing is like what actually makes a, a, a feature launch is, you know, not just design, design, engineering, product or p- product management and research. Right. And so What you would get is you'd get these situations where, you know, we as design would would design something that we thought was great. And then we'd kind of like throw it over the fence and engineers would build it and a PM would kind of make sure that all the dates were hit. That wasn't perfect. (laughs) I mean, there are definitely positives to it, for sure. Um, But the negatives to it is you kind of lost that like collaborative back and forth between designers and engineers. That's fantastic. Like all great. Digital products are the, process, are the process of fantastic creativity and collaboration between designers and engineers. The only time that doesn't happen is when you happen to have that rare breed of designer who's actually an engineer themselves or a, an engineer who's actually also a designer themselves. And they're basically just doing the collaboration in their head. So at, you're saying designers should code.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Oh. <laughs> wow.
2: That's the joke. Okay. Yes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think designers should try to code and see if it makes them a better designer. And if it does, they should continue coding. And if it doesn't, they should concentrate on other things that will make them a better designer.
0: Very pragmatic. I like it.
2: Yes. Um, I think if you asked Supa that question, he would say, that's not useful. Um, so uh, where, where, where were we at? Oh, yeah. So so our process was very kind of, um, you know, horizontal, functional. Um, it worked, but it you know it it needed to be kind of modularized a little bit and so then we basically distributed designers throughout the company uh to where we had we told designers hey like your primary desk is is sitting with your engineers and your and your pm and your and your and your researcher and that's like that's where you should spend most of your day but we had fears about that like nobody really wanted to do that and we knew why um and we didn't feel great about it and we knew why and that was that we didn't want to lose the kind of sense of family that you get as a centralized design team so what we did is We kept the design studio alive, Um, we renovated it, we uh, got new whiteboards and new couches and like we made it really, really nice. Uh, And we started having functions in it every week, like all week. So Monday morning, uh, we would have the all-team meeting at 9.30, where we would talk about birthdays and what was launching and other announcements for the week, just a good way for everybody to kind of start the week and, and see their design and research friends. Then we would have design reviews in the design studio every day of the week, you know, so Tuesday might be search and Wednesday might be onboarding and Thursday might be home timeline, Friday might be tweets but it was a good way to kind of bring people back together as designers and researchers. So we felt like by doing that, we were able to kind of have our cake and eat it too. Um, we were able to get the speed and collaborative benefits of being, uh, you know, embedded with, with PMs and engineers, but also the benefits of being part of a, a, a large uh,
1: talented design team. That gets harder, the bigger you get, right? Oh, I'm
2: sure. Yeah. 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 It, it does. But you know, I think that's part of the fun. I mean, we have, you know, we have, you know, the best, Studio manager in the world, um, working for our team, who is instrumental um, as well as um, as well as uh, you know a, a couple of like fantastic EAs, as well as people who just take it upon themselves to help plan. Um, What's an EA? Uh, executive assistant.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh,
2: so yeah, between I mean. Between like all the people that really really cared about keeping the team together and 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 keeping that atmosphere, it, it, it was it was a labor of love. Like I mean, we do things like camp together on the weekends. We go up to like Sh- I think it was Sugarloaf Mountain was the last one we did up north, but it was great. Like we just camp camp together for the weekend. You know, and the team
1: were, was a hundred people.
2: Uh, well, hundred people didn't show up. Um, uh, I think okay. like maybe twenty five people showed up or something.
1: hundred people camping is complicated. I'm sure, but we could pull it off um but yeah it was really we're awesome. designers yeah we're designers. <laughs> all right so you've been out of twitter for four months now mm-hmm. uh living life mm-hmm. and you're writing more and mm-hmm. the posts have been amazing i've been enjoying reading uh you wrote this one about sort of a reflection on tech mm-hmm. uh, can you talk a little bit more about like what you've been up to in terms of just thinking and writing
2: yeah yeah so you know i think. For me, one thing I notice about myself is, um, the more I consume about like the design space and the Internet space and the tech space, the less inspired I am to create. If that makes sense. It doesn't. OK, so let me explain it a little further then. Um, oftentimes you have like the seed of an idea in your head, and it starts off as a very, very small seed. Like, oh, I want to like build something to help people do this. Can relate. Yeah, right. (laughs) But the more you read about things that other people are building, the more likely you are to say, "Well, uh, ah, that thing's like, clo- that thing's it's kind of close to what I'm thinking," than <laughs> yeah, like, eh, I don't know, they're like, they've already like got funding and like eh, they're pretty talented, like they'll just do it. Like, I, I don't even want, I won't even like develop the idea anymore because like somebody else is better than me for doing this, you know.
0: Brian's like, I wanted to make an API, but it's someone else is making an API. What do I do? Yeah, <laughs> right, right,
2: right. So like. You know, being in San Francisco full time and working at, you know, a very fast-paced company where everybody's talking about new ideas like, oh, so and so launched this and like Instagram's got a gradient on their logo and <laughs> you know, whatever, like you you're just inundated with so much information about what other people are building. And you at least for me, like I just find myself kind of sapped for that like really really great energy that you get um, to build something when you have a good idea. Um, Vibing. Yeah. Dude, just yeah. feeling just in, something. Just in the groove, like in the yeah. flow. In the flow. And, the, and the same thing is true for writing, by the way. Like, I felt the same way about writing. Like, I would have an idea for like, oh, I want to write about like diversity or I want to write about, um, you know, evaluating designers. Like, oh, but here's like this other post that somebody wrote or here are, th- here are these 10 other... 50 other posts that somebody wrote about something like, uh, oh okay. there's a
0: whole section in a medium about diversity <laughs> yeah
2: right right or even I mean even Twitter itself like Twitter itself kind of sometimes saps your idea to to write because you have like again a seed of an idea and you come up with that like 138 characters that like kind of talks about your idea. And then like mm. you, you tweet it out and you're like, okay, cool, I express, I got that out of my system. On to the next thing. Dude, you, know? you got
0: a space emoji.
2: Yeah, right, right. Uh, <laughs> space yeah. emoji. Yeah, I got to use up all 140. Um, So I think one of the nice things that I've noticed, you know, being kind of out of it full time for now is that because I'm consuming less, my desire to produce has gone up. So my desire to write has gone up. My desire to create has gone up. Um, and I'm not looking to like, you know, start a new company tomorrow or anything, but like, I'm starting, I'm starting to get into like a much better mind space in terms of like accessing my creativity and accessing my drive to solve, you know, real world problems. And I think
1: being away from the grind has definitely helped in that regard. How would you respond to someone that says being in the grind helps you stay up to date and know the latest trends and know the latest technologies? That can't possibly be the case. (laughs) I think for some people it does. Like I, I... I don't think that everybody's brain works the
2: same way. Like I think for some people like, yeah, that's their tonic, right? Like they, they, they live off being like at a cocktail party and hearing like little bits and pieces of, of a few different ideas and being able to like synthesize those into something better.
0: Wait, do they even have this, the internet in Seattle? (laughs) (laughs) Oh
2: man. I think the internet, I I, am just going to go out on a limb and say they had the internet in Seattle before they had it in San Francisco.
0: They had like a
1: fish market. Because Marshall Lynch. They had a fish market and Starbucks, and that's yeah, all you get. That's true. And it's, Marshawn Lynch. Well, not anymore. Yeah, and not anymore. Oh,
2: low blow. Um, no, but- uh, You said it. We didn't true. know. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I brought that on myself. Um, but I don't think everybody works the same way. I, I do think for some people, like, yeah, like, it's it's great. And I will say this, to, to your point, one of my favorite things about San Francisco, like, maybe even my favorite thing about it- Sourdough. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Horrible. Horrible. Um, my favorite- Maybe my favorite thing about San Francisco is- Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch. No, <laughs> that's Oakland. He lives in Oakland, not San Francisco.
0: Fire. Basically the same. Oaktown.
2: No, for real though. it It is really invigorating being around such a like large number of really, really intelligent people. It's very energetic. It's very energetic. I do wish it was a little bit more like New York though, in that- People's backgrounds were a little bit more diverse, you know. Like, very true. I, I think San Francisco is a melting pot, just as New York is a melting pot. But San Francisco is a melting pot for tech. So, like, you will get people from India that move here, and you'll get people from Seattle that move here, and you'll get people from from South America that move here. But they're all moving here for tech. Yeah. So they have a tech background in common. Whereas New York, you have people that move there to get into fashion. You have people that move there to get into the restaurant industry. You have people that move there to get into all sorts of different things. And so when you when you have cocktail conversations with people in a city like New York, it's even more invigorating.
0: It's like a diversity of content, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Versus like solidarity of content, but diversity of backgrounds.
2: Yes. Yes. It, it, absolutely. There's a great book by Stephen Berlin Johnson called uh where good ideas come from and he talks about the effects that um happen when you pool together people of diver- diverse backgrounds in a city environment mm-hmm. um and it he goes into like all the different ideas that you come up with when you like pair a plumber together with a technologist with a you know with a waitress um and it, it's it's fascinating so That sounds
0: like it's weird.
2: Yeah, I mean that I, yeah, I've just made that up. I don't
1: I know what you would do with <laughs> I, I like the ideas plumber. of this.
2: Yeah. Uh, so but while we're on the topic of books that so read that um, where good ideas come from uh, Creativity Inc also which yep. is a great book by Ed yep. Catmull who is a fantastic uh, leader of Pixar should also have, read that
0: have you seen Zootopia no because holy shit oh my god what I think Ed, <laughs> what? Ed Catmull the director is it a Pixar movie it's a Disney movie oh oh John Lasseter is the director oh, yeah, yeah. who used to be at Pixar now he's at yeah, Disney yeah. oh my god it's incredible
2: okay I'll check it out
0: okay Creativity Inc. Yeah, Creativity Inc. Um,
2: so there's a there's a, a also a wonderful book by David Eagleman called Incognito, um, and it's about all the ways that your subconscious brain actually controls your conscious behavior, and it's fascinating. Um, highly highly recommend it. So like biases, yeah, biases, and just. Um, how it goes over like how much how much agency we actually have over our own actions like all
1: waters are murky
2: all waters are murky
1: the thing about your first post you wrote uh since since leaving twitter uh is this really beautiful long post about trends you've noticed in san francisco and, and we'll send people to read it but the the thing that stood out to me the most was it was one of the most honest as close to honest as i think yeah. you can be in this industry mm-hmm. he didn't like the bread that's all there is to it <laughs> <laughs> bread aside you you talked honestly about process and culture and working with people here and the things that are happening in Silicon Valley. Like why, why did that kind of come out in that particular post? Yeah,
2: I think, I mean, a lot of that was because I just sort of like got a little bit frustrated by how, um, rosy, of an outlook people tended to put on every single kind of like situation. And I like being positive is one is, is good. Like it's a fantastic like it's a fantastic trait to like always be able to put a positive light on everything. I try to do that myself. It's better um, than being gloomy. It's better than being gloomy. Like I mean my my number one rule in life my only rule in life actually is to turn every bad thing into a good thing. Always. Like anything bad that happens to you, you get cancer like Patriots beat the Seahawks. Yeah, exactly. Right. But like you get cancer, like find a way to turn that into a good thing. Like stop eating sugar, you know, like start working out, like do something unrelated that like makes you look back at that point in your life and go, you know what? That was a good turning point for me.
0: I love seeing your Twitter up to this about sugar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm going to sugar
2: Noticing a pattern. Now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, no, but uh, uh, so what I noticed was like, I was aware of a lot of sort of like suboptimal situations, you know, obviously, you know, being on the inside of a big company, there's you know a lot of suboptimal things that happen and, you know, like people leaving or, you know, projects not going well. And like the way that, that the way that they're spun um, is misleading, you know, like somebody leaves a company and they didn't get along with somebody else. And like at all, you know, and then like, They leave the company and like the people publicly are like, oh, congratulations. Like it was great working with you. Like fantastic. Like best of luck on your next job, like or whatever. And then like you, you sit there and you're like, you guys hated each other. Like you guys never got along with each other. Like, why are you slapping each other on the back? Like, like wishing each other, like wishing each other, like a a great life. And I actually asked somebody about that. So so I saw that happen and I, 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 I actually asked somebody about the next day. I saw them on the train and I was like, Hey, that was really like, I thought you didn't like working with that person at all. Like, why did you go out of your way to like publicly congratulate them on this, you know, on, 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 on leaving? And they were like, well, honestly, I'm not at the point in my career where I can walk away from a, rela- from a relationship like that. I need to worry about what yep. that, what that person is going to say about me. Definitely. Yeah. 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 And like, I totally get that, but it sucks. It Ah. Like oh man it sucks you know like it sucks not it sucks having to fake it.
0: Positivity you know? with a lack of honesty yes. is like right. It's not backable in any situation. It's not.
2: And like and, that, and and nobody is saying you should trash people, right? Like I I totally it would have been like even more inappropriate for somebody to like go, "Well, you know, you're terrible, like, I wish you the worst. Like, like you shouldn't do that. Hey, either. you suck. I'm <laughs>
0: glad you're leaving. Thanks. Yeah,
2: right. Like, you shouldn't do that either. But like, I guess my approach is like, look, if you had a positive experience, talk it, talk about it, you know? Like, tell people mm-hmm. how great somebody was or whatever. But like, if you didn't, just move on. Just don't do have to say anything, you know? And so I think part of what I was trying to get through in that post was like, hey, there, like, look, Silicon Valley is not this place where like, everybody is happy all the time and everything is great. There's a lot of drama. It's not? <laughs> Sorry, fuck! I'm gonna Sorry. leave. Bubble
1: burst. <laughs> but it's in,
2: ge- it, in general, though, it's a pretty fantastic place to work, a f- pretty fantastic industry, and like almost everybody that you work with is like fantastic to work with and great. S- says the guy who hated
1: the whole city. I wish you well. <laughs> Good luck. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, can you know. We, can um, you just dig into this? I, I would just be fascinated yeah. your perspective because yeah. sometimes when we talk about the design community, we're talking about it in the macro sense, yeah. the world. Yeah. A lot of times here, we're talking about the design community, the people that are here. Yeah. The and people
0: we run into, into at
1: meetups. Yeah. Incredibly, yeah. incredibly small. Yeah. Insular. Insular, yeah. Um, what can we learn about, or like, how have you been thinking about the fact that it's so small that people go out of their way to not burn bridges for better or worse? Uh, people go out of their way to not write for better or worse. Yeah. People go out of their way to not. Yeah. Um, maybe even say like where someone's shortcomings are. Yeah because they yeah. know that it it's a very, very that bridge is very close to the next bridge and all bridges are in your That lane. can sound a lot like shit talking too. Yeah. Like you can't, uh, people don't yeah. want to shit on another person. Yeah, so, so, not shit talking but like honest honest. Uh, this person did this. And, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I think it's a really good question. I think it
2: goes back to something we talked about in a half hour ago or so which is like, you know, when we started talking about diversity on the team, it wasn't this is what it's like to work with you. I want to talk to you about what it's like to work with you. It was, this is what it's like to be a woman in tech. And that really, really depersonalized it and got everybody on the same common ground. And so if you want to talk about problems in the industry, it's not necessarily the best thing to do to say, Hey, let me tell you about this one person. Case study like, A. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that, that's not even helpful. right? like it's not. It's not fair. It's not helpful. It's not. It's not good to shit talk people behind yes. their back or even to their face. Um, but you can you can talk about the lessons that you learned from working with somebody without actually personalizing it you can say hey and i kind of try to do that in the post a little bit where i was talking about like these are the concepts that i didn't feel like great about the company Mm -hmm. i didn't feel great that that empathy wasn't a part of what we of what we taught you know i'm not talking about any one person at the company i'm not saying hey this this person made it so that we didn't have empathy as part of our you know like PM job ladder or whatever. It had nothing to do with that at all. It was just like, I think that empathy needs to be part of, you know, a design job ladder, a PM job ladder, and an engineering job ladder. I think it's very, very important. So by keeping it like on that level, I think we can talk about the
1: shortcomings of our industry without like tearing people down. Has that thought process evolved since you left Twitter? Like being away for four months? Has that Ev- evolved, evolved or changed? What, is, what do you mean? Being physically distant uh oh like am i do i feel you're not running into these people on the street like it's the problem is not these
2: general issues i mean i do i do think that i do think that i'm maybe more at peace talking more frankly because i'm at a point in my career where like i frankly just don't give a fuck
1: (laughs) yeah there we go uh
2: what people think about me like i did when i was 22 um, I'm kind of stealing. Like I'm basically becoming Daniel Burka, Essentially, I think like Daniel burka has been this way his whole life. I think I love Daniel. He's fucking fantastic. But like one of the things I love about him is he he's you know he's a, he he speaks truth to power. He, he speaks. Doesn't give a fuck.
0: <laughs> exactly what he means. Yeah,
2: exactly. And yeah. So, God, you know I I have never felt quite that free
0: um, until now. Speaking about general behaviors, yeah, you'll see people burn bridges, and you'll be like, oh, this person burned a bridge. That's bad. Yeah. But burning bridges is the problem, right? Yeah. Like, some people will leave scorched earth at either end. Right. Not just the bridge, right. but the entire like mechanism yeah. is gone. Yeah. I mean, look, some bridges need to be burned. Like, if
2: if you're if you're if the city behind you is on fire, then fuck yeah, burn that fucking bridge so that fire doesn't doesn't cross and burn you later on. Like there there are there are bridges that are like perfectly fine to be burned, but most. Are not right. Like most relationships that you have in life, you should treasure and you should try to get the most out of. Uh, but again, like there are ways to talk about problems that don't involve personalizing them down to like
1: you know one particular person or two particular people. You know who you had problems. And there's with. very rare, it's rare that a problem is one person. Right. right exactly. Yeah. It's a very yeah. good point. It's common. That it's institutional. Is that what you're saying? Uh, it's yeah. It's I can't speak as an expert, but it seems to me that it's usually the result of the insularity breeding, like a general right. mindset. Or you worked with like.
0: like two companies professionally. You can speak generally as much as you want. I basically
1: <laughs> know everything about this industry. Uh, I mean, look, people act People act how
2: how they think their uh, managers and leaders want them to act, right? And so if you have a, hmm. a leader who acts in a certain way, they will tend to, you know, their, their current employees will tend to act in that way. And people who don't like acting in that way will tend to leave. And you'll you'll tend to hire for people who do like acting in that way. So if you have a, you know, a design leader who's like, you know, very authoritarian and is like super German about like, um, you know, uh, all file names must must be lowercase with underscores and no spaces and like all that shit like you, designers who don't want to be part of that will leave
0: right <laughs> more and, german than germane yeah
2: germane <laughs> right exactly um and then you tend to hire people like that will that will work in that system so uh you know it's you're right it's never one person but i think people tend to act in in similar ways when they get into a, a company environment like
0: that that was fantastic we are over time <laughs> <laughs> all right anything you'd like to plug before you go
2: yeah, um, I'm bit baking some really great bread right now. It's super limited edition. Like I'm doing like one or two loaves a week. Follow at
0: Mike Industries for Follow details. Follow at
2: Mike Industries. Um, pretty much the only way that you'll be able to get a hold of it is if you are actually in Seattle when I've just baked a loaf. Um, and if you happen to be in Seattle, like you should just like, you know, send me a, a, a tweet and just say, hey, dude, you got a loaf? And you may luck out. So and if you in do, Seattle. You yeah, <laughs> got a loaf? Yeah. If you do, it's fucking fantastic do you have
0: stuff fermenting while you're gone
2: no uh, I don't do the Levon thing
1: rookie move yeah, dude rookie no, move no, <laughs> sourdough I don't do I do I do one day pre ferment. you just call this man a rookie poolish is uh, what can we expect next What what's the next Mur- murky waters my friend murky waters indeed awesome thanks so much for coming over Mike yeah thank thanks you. for having me this has been really fun that was
0: episode 140 thank you so much to Mike for coming down to Seattle and hanging out with us coming down from Seattle isn't that what I said?
1: He said, coming down to Seattle. That's not where I we live. I would never
0: live in Seattle. That's silly. <laughs> but Do they even have sourdough bread there?
1: Uh, I've heard it's not very good. If you enjoyed the episode, uh, we have a huge favor to ask. Uh, could you leave us a review on iTunes, please? Yeah. Ratings, reviews, they all help. I just did a talk where I put a ton of them up on a slide. Oh yeah, your uh, your iTunes reviews might get featured in a slide next time <laughs> Brandon gives an awesome talk. Those ratings and reviews on iTunes basically tell iTunes that people are listening to the show, helps us move up the charts, helps new people like you discover the show and it means a whole lot to us. We like reading them. Uh, all criticism, of course, is welcome but we're also open to ideas and feedback and suggestions. Anything on your mind, uh, let us know on an iTunes review. Thank you to everyone who's done it so far. They mean a lot. If you haven't done one yet, please do it. That'd be awesome. That'd be super helpful. You can also hit us up on Twitter. We're at design details FM. And before we go, definitely check out our sponsor Dropbox. They're hiring product designers and design managers to build great products to help people work better.
0: These are product designers at all levels. You should go check them out, whether it's your first job or maybe you want to move on like you're more senior. It's a great place to be right now. Uh, they're an incredible team, super collaborative. They have an amazing space to work in and they're working to make design a more front
1: and center piece of their organization. Yep, We've enjoyed working with their team and we know you will too. If you want to learn more, go to spec.fm slash Dropbox. That'll take you to uh, all sorts of info about what they're working on and how you can get started. So thank you once again to Dropbox. We'll see you on Wednesday with Peter play.